All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where we're at. We're going to continue a series we started last week, uh, one that really got the trendies, uh, made them split their skinny britches when they heard it, but uh, this one will probably succeed in now getting just more in the eye of me mad at me. So we're just going to see if we can't get everybody in the world to hate us, and uh, and then as soon as we figure out somebody that likes us, we'll find something to make them mad too. And, you know, I'm not trying to make people mad, but sometimes... Uh, you know, when you live in a world of sin and you preach against sin, you just make a few enemies along the way. And so we'll see what happens. We're just going to preach uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart. And I believe this is a very, very important subject. And folks, the, I, I believe when it comes to what we're covering tonight, the IFV has a broken mindset on this. And I really want to make sure we get our minds in the right place when it comes to this subject because... We cannot make this mistake. I cannot express how serious this is. But we're talking about cover-ups tonight. And that's one of the things that people talk about. When they talk about the IFB, they like to talk about the cover-ups that have taken place over the years and sweeping things under the rug, uh, hiding abuse. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stories out there that are true. There's, there's some bad ones too, but there's a lot of true stories that are out there. And I want to read this passage. We're going to be looking at a lot of examples here from 2 Samuel chapter 12 tonight. Uh, we looked at some of this last week, but I want to look a little closer at a few parts on here tonight. But notice in verse 9, this is after uh, David, he's being confronted by Nathan the prophet after his sin with Bathsheba. It says, Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, that was killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and has taken his wife to be thy wife, and thou hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Now, watch this. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now, let me ask you, does it look like God is in the business of covering up his servants when they mess up? David was God's king over God's people. He was a man after God's own heart. He was handpicked by God to be the king of Israel. And David's sin that he committed, it says in verse 14, it says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. This child that is born unto thee shall surely die. So God agrees with this idea that God's man doing something bad is going to cause people to blaspheme against God. But God didn't say, so you know what? We got to cover this up. No, God said, I'm going to, I'm going to nail you in front of the whole world. I'm going to put this thing out before the sun. Everybody's going to see what's going to happen to you, David. You know why? You're in trouble because you have given them an opportunity to blaspheme. When my man, when my king over my people is doing this kind of thing, it's going to make me look bad. And so, David, you are in trouble. And, and I'm telling you right now, one of the sins of our IFB forefathers, one of the mistakes, if you want to call it that, but I believe it's a serious sin, was this idea of thinking we've got to cover things up. We've got to protect the cause of Christ. We can't hurt the name of the church. We don't want to bring reproach on Christ. And so when something really, really bad happened, the goal has always been to keep it as quiet as possible. And folks, that has had devastating results. Now, let me just say, 
All right, let's just give some of these people the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, their intentions were right. They didn't want to cause more embarrassment to the family. They didn't want to hurt the name of the church. They didn't want to bring reproach on the name of Christ. But here's the problem. Because they did not deal with it the way the Bible teaches they should deal with it, you know what it's done? It's emboldened other perverts to do the same thing. You know, where if they would have dealt with it severely, maybe other perverts would say, you know what, I'm going to go find another church, you know, where they do cover these things up. I'm going to go join the Catholic church and become a Catholic priest. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something like that. But no, when they protected these people, they've ended up basically creating an environment where perverts don't need to be afraid. And that's not good, resulting in even more sin. And then not only that, because they did this thing thinking they were helping the cause, they end up getting busted because things are always going to come out. The truth's always going to come out. And then not only do they have perversion as a mark against them, but they have cover-ups as a mark against them. So it, it always makes things worse. And folks, if something happens here and it gets public, our church will go through a battle. It will be a difficult time, but it will be worse. Let's get it over with. Let's deal with it now. Let's get it over with. The longer we wait, the more we put it off, the worse it's going to be. We cannot do this. And this is something where in the IFB world, amongst leadership in the IFB, this has been a failure. And so this, um, you know, and, and, I'm, and I, don't, I don't want to repeat a lot of the things I repeated last week. But again, you know, this isn't about attacking the IFB. This isn't about just, you know, picking on certain people. This is just, it's, a, it's an error. Okay? And I'll give some of these people the benefit of the doubt and say they intended good, but you know what? They were wrong. And we have to say that. Just like we talked about last week, it's okay for us to confess these things. And if we're going to claim that IFB heritage, even though we are an independent church, we do claim to have an IFB heritage. We do use that term. And so we have to confess these things. Otherwise, we're going to end up dealing with the same thing. So another thing we need to understand, something we need to understand about David here is that David was a king and not a pastor. Okay, I hate whenever pastors mess up and then they bring up David. And here's the thing too. This just irritates me. They'll go and they mess up. And then, you know, you got people like me. We're down on them. That guy's scum. You know, death penalty. Uh, you know, at least throw him out of his church, something like that. Okay, but, but either way, they always want to bring up David. Okay, and, and that's code for... I should still get to keep pastoring. But it's like, well, you know what? David did pay fourfold. David did lose four of his children. David had battles in his house the rest of his life because of this kind of thing. And so, yeah, just because God didn't kill David doesn't mean that David got off scot-free. And so these people want to say, what about David? Well, here's the thing. You claim to be a preacher of the word. Why didn't you learn the lesson from David? And again, what makes you think you just get off scot-free? That's not how this works. Fine. You live in America. You won't get the death penalty anyway. But you should still have your dirty carcass thrown in prison for the rest of your life, at least. But they do. And here's the thing, too. Pastors are not kings. You understand that? We are not kings over a physical nation. Okay? This is probably going to go into next week's message. But pastors are not kings. Okay? We are just pastors. We're shepherds. Okay? We can be replaced. We don't have a covenant on us like God gave David that the kingdom was going to be in his house forever. Okay? When I became pastor of this church, God, God didn't make a covenant with me saying, 
Liberty Baptist Church will be in your family's name forever. No, that, that's, that's not how it is for pastors. I can be replaced. And I, you know, you hate to admit that kind of thing, but you know what? Every pastor needs to admit they can be replaced. At least you should be able to be replaced. If you've, and, and one of my goals, I'll say it again, is to have this church where I could drop dead and everything will continue going just like it was before. If we have the right kind of church, we can do that. So, well, this, so, so why, when these people cover up, because a lot of people too, and a lot of you, you might not be familiar with the IFB world, okay? And especially a, a lot of people in the pews today are clueless about the IFB world because they only know what goes on in their church. They're not keeping up with the politics and uh, they don't go to the conferences and the pastors' fellowships. They don't even know who a lot of these people are. So a lot of times, people in the congregation they're not even familiar with any type of abuse that's ever happened before. So they don't know how these things ought to be de dealt with. Now, most pastors know. Most pastors are kind of in the loop on some things. And, and, and you know, and I've been on the loop. I come from a pastor's family. I've got a lot of preachers in my family. Okay, I'm in the loop. Okay, I'm going to name some names tonight, too. All right, just, just you know, hang on. We're going we're gonna to talk about some people that have been involved in cover-ups. And, and these are people, too. Many of them, probably all of them I'm going to mention, people I have, you know, I've heard them preach in person, people I've met, uh, people I have been connected with. So I, I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to these things. But I'll, and I can tell you firsthand, one of their biggest excuses for cover-ups is they didn't want to hurt the cause of Christ. Now, as Baptists, we've got to have a verse, don't we? We've got to have a verse for why we've got to cover these things up and keep it as quiet as possible. Does anybody know what the magic verse is? That they use. All right. If you don't know, ask Tom Neal, who wrote a stupid article after the Cameron Giovanelli thing. I, I forgot. I was going to have some of that and read it. That, that article is so bad. And Tom Neal, he's right there. Greg Neal's his son. They're, I mean, that is like cover-up central. That is like pervert central. That's where David Hiles goes to church with his Fallen in Grace Ministries. Fallen in, fallen in Grace Ministries. Okay, you fell, so I guess you're saying you fell while in grace, while still saved. Well, I believe a saved person can fall. Um, can you tell us how you fell? Can you confess the sin that you did? Here's the thing, too. these guys, they don't, they don't ever confess anything. They don't ever admit to any of the bad things they did. You know why? Because their lawyers tell them not to or they'll go to jail. That's why. And we're going to talk about some of that a little bit too. I've got I got a lot of stuff I want to cover tonight. I got to, I got to try to stay focused. I've got so many things on my heart. But here is the magic verse that they use from Second Samuel one nine. This is after uh, Saul and Jonathan die, and David. Of course, he's upset. David loved Saul, and it's, he says in verse nineteen, "The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it." Not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Now, what is David doing right here? Is David giving a command from God that when something bad happens, don't you dare let the enemies find out? No, you know what he's doing? He's just lamenting the fact that the enemies are going to rejoice when they hear this. And don't we all hate that? You know, when the enemies are, you know, you know how many enemies we have? They would love nothing more than for me to fall. And... We don't like that, do we? But you know what? How about we just don't fall then? Obviously, you know, we get no... It, it upsets us when you see enemies of God excited about something. Yeah, obviously, we all hate it 
whenever a preacher does fall and you see the trendies practically rejoicing over it and using it to just bash everything in the eye of B. You know, obviously we don't like that, but at the end of the day, while we might feel that way, this is not a command for us to cover these things up because that goes completely against what God actually did when it came to David's sin with Bathsheba. So that's just absolutely foolish to use a verse like that, but they got to have a magic verse. That's the one they use, and that is just a horrible interpretation of that passage. So, because it's a natural thing, and we're all like this too. You know, if you have somebody that you hate that you work with, and you get in trouble for something, you don't want them to find out, do you? Because you know it will bring them pleasure. Did you know that's, you know, we shouldn't have that attitude? We all have that attitude, but we shouldn't have that attitude. But that is exactly how we feel. And we don't want to, we don't, we shouldn't sin to stop them from getting that good feeling. And I got, I got a sermon I could preach for those people too that take pleasure in this about the Edomites or about the Ammonites who both got cursed for rejoicing when Israel was being punished. They got cursed because of that. And you know what? We shouldn't rejoice when our enemy falls. But just guess what? If we fall, our enemies are probably going to rejoice. Tough. Tough luck. You just, we're just going to have to deal with it. But, you know, this was a massive error for them. They don't want the recovering fundamentalists finding out when they mess up. They don't want Eric Skorzynski finding out when they mess up. So just don't mess up. Just know that if you do, they're going to be all over it like ugly on an ape. And so just don't do it and you'll be fine. Because, again, God disagreed with that interpretation. God said, I'm going to do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. That's what God said. God's not into this cover-up business. And so if there's a pervert in the church, people need to be warned for their protection. And let me just put this out there too so nobody thinks I'm picking on you. If you do something perverted, if we find out you're a pervert, we're going to tell everybody in the church. Oh, you you shouldn't do that. You're, You're going to hurt their family. Listen, here's one of the reasons we have to tell everybody. Because one, everyone needs to know to stay away from you. You know, because one thing we don't do in this church, we don't shun people. When people leave the church, we try to let people leave quietly. You know, I don't put it out there. Nobody have anything to do with these people anymore. We don't do that kind of thing. Okay. We're, we're, I'm not interested in doing that. But the fact that they were here, we got to know them. If, you know, it kind of gives you just automatically have a trust for people that you go to church with. And I mean, and how would you feel if I knew that someone was a pervert, even if it was like an adulterer? Okay, if you know somebody in this church is an adulterer, do you really want them around your wife? But yet, here, I know about this, but I'm trying to protect that marriage. You know, I'm trying to protect these people. I don't want them to deal with any more heartache than they're already dealing with. So I'm going to keep it quiet. And then it turns out they're messing with somebody else in the church. That's not okay. Folks, that's why you just can't do this stuff. Just mark it down right now that if you do some kind of perverted sexual sin, we're going to tell everybody. And it's not... Because we're just trying to punish you or anything like that. It's to warn everyone. And here's another reason too we've got to tell everybody. Because if you do something perverted, especially if it's something illegal. okay. First off, we don't have the death penalty in this country for this stuff. You know, We want you to die. All right? That's what we want to happen. If you're a child molester, if you're a pervert, a reprobate, and a sodomite, you know, that's what we want to happen. But we're not allowed to do anything about that. So we would at least like to see your carcass in jail. But you know, it's often hard for the authorities to get the evidence they need 
to actually get someone put in jail. So another reason we've got to tell everybody is chances are if somebody in this church messed with one person, they might have tried with somebody else too. And it might not have been as big of a thing or whatever, but that's why we've got to put it out there. So if you have any information, you can come forward and we can get that dirt bag thrown in the slammer. And folks, we will do that. It will be our mission. If you ever hurt any of these kids around here, I don't care how much we love you right now, that love will turn to hate real fast if you're a pervert. Okay? We train ourselves to hate perverts around here, and you will become the hated, and we will make it our mission to get you thrown in jail. And folks, I don't, I, 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 I don't know what I can do to just express how serious I am about that. Because if you are a pervert, we would love it if you left this church before you did anything. And go to some other church. Go to one of the trendiest church and give them a bad reputation. Don't go to our church and give that bad reputation. But I, I'm serious, folks. We will do that. We will do whatever we can to get you th- uh, thrown in jail. And we've got so we've got to make sure we let people know. That's another, another thing too. You know, obviously we want to be careful about accusations. You know, ah, uh, this guy looks like a creeper, and then you don't want to go telling everybody in the church that. But at the same time, if somebody actually does something that's questionable you should at least tell me about it because it might just be a misunderstanding it might be something that was just kind of random but the thing is if i have multiple people coming to me tell me about this then that's a pretty good sign we do have a problem and i can address it but you know what happens all the time whenever uh somebody after something big blows up everybody comes forward yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened, and the pastor had no idea. And it's like, so, you know, obviously, I don't want people tattling on me for every little thing. You know, that person made chicken when they knew I was bringing chicken and stuff like that. You know, don't tattle me on stuff like that. But obviously, if it's something serious or if it, it could be something serious, you can talk to me about it. I know how to keep secrets. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, bring these things up. And then and just get take that burden off yourself. Because um, we don't want to take any chances on this. Unfortunately, it is a reality. The perverts are out there. They're growing more and more. Folks, they're not going to promote all the homosexuality, all the perversion they do on Hollywood, and it not have an effect on people. The stuff is, uh, you know, they're recruiting perverts today, and a lot of them are in church. And, and I've preached on this before. I don't want to repeat this too. But one thing about sodomites, okay, and just let me clarify for the Internet people, okay, we do not dignify the whole LGBTQ thing, give them all their own letters, okay? We put pedophiles in the same category, and they're all sodomites, okay? They're just sodomites. Just, let's just call them what God calls them. They're all sodomites, okay? So let's just, let's just mark it down. They're all sodomites, and we, we need to make sure that, you know, we don't think these people can be reformed. We don't think these people can be helped. And so anything that you know you're able to to share and you know help with that it can really protect a lot because sodomites want to violate the innocent that is why they are attracted to children that is why they are attracted to uh churches they love to prey on the innocent because they are predators okay the reason you have preachers that will go and videotape women today in their office in a world where we have pornography everywhere that's so easy to get to you know, why, why would they even need to do that here's why they need to do that because perverts sodomites want to violate the innocent 
And that's why they do that kind of thing. And uh, I, I've preached on that before. I'm not going to rehash all that. But we need to understand this, this idea, too, of you know, accusations, um, you know, calling these things out. Well, um, it, it is biblical to do this kind of thing. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. In 1 Timothy chapter 5. In verse 19, now this, pass, this passage gets butchered quite a bit, but let me show you what exactly this is talking about here. And you all need to understand this too. This is something that you need to understand. It says in 1 Timothy 5, 19, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, I've heard all kinds of butcherings of this passage. Some people will say, well, you can't accuse a pastor of anything unless there's two or three witnesses. Wrong. That's not what that's talking about. It says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So what that means, if somebody is going to come to you, and they want to tell you, they want to accuse me of something to you, you know what you should do? Hey, before you spill this to me, let's get a couple witnesses. And you know what you do? You get a couple men in the church, you get maybe people who are in leadership in this church, and you say, all right, I've got some witnesses here. This person's about to tell me something really bad about the pastor. Let's hear it. Because an ac accusations, especially against those in leadership, they are very serious and they should be taken serious. But folks, there's not going to be two or three witnesses to a molestation. You understand that? It's just not going to happen. If there was two or three people around, it wouldn't happen. And so you don't need to do that. Just if something happens to you, Okay? And you need to tell somebody, if, you know, because if, if it was me, what you need to do, you need to go and you need to tell somebody in the church about it. But get a few people, get a few trusted people, get a few of the men in the church. If you want to have some ladies there and some of the wives there to hear you out, do that. And let me tell you, because people too, it is hard to accuse. It's hard to people who've been abused and victimized. It's very hard for them to tell people about it. That's another thing, too, we've got to keep in mind. Uh, something, too, you need to prepare your kids, too, because kids often uh, have a tough time telling people about it, too. And, you, and that, uh, I might say more about that in a little bit. But if somebody goes through all the trouble of gathering three people in the church to bring this accusation, it's probably pretty serious. And I'm not talking about them going and getting their three buddies in the church. No, I'm talking you go get three random men in this church. And you go and you and they do that. There's a good chance that they're, that's they're probably telling the truth, and you probably should take that accusation serious. And let me just give this for extra instruction too. Okay, uh, something what I was said last week was completely misrepresented. But if some you ever hear that I did something illegal or somebody here does something illegal, you always go to the police about it. Y'all understand that? And trust me, I will go to the police about you if i hear about it, about you because first off i'll go to jail if i don't and you think i want to go to jail because you're a pervert that's the last thing i want to happen i will go i will go to the police and you should do that same thing too here's why we bring these things to the church because sometimes there's not enough for the police to be able to do anything about it and as a church based on i forgot what passage is in first corinthians the Bible says we would be better off having the least esteemed among us judge something than the unrighteous judges of the world. And so as a church, you all need to get to the bottom of what happened. Obviously, you're not going to exclude the police from it. 
But you all can have your own investigation too. And I promise you, yours should be able to go a lot quicker than theirs does. Theirs takes months, years. Uh, guys like Matt Gerald, who was a pastor that was, was a pervert, who got busted, got caught, and hung himself in his jail cell. That guy, turned out, he had tried uh, picking up a prostitute that was an undercover cop before and was like awaiting trial or something for it. And it had been like months before. Our legal system takes too long to deal with everything. And apparently there were some people in the church that knew about that. And it didn't get brought before the church. They should have taken care of that right away. But, you know, they didn't. And that man ended up doing more things. And, you know, thankfully killed himself and, you know, took care of business because the cops wouldn't have done that either. We don't have to worry about him anymore. But either way, uh, you've got to understand, it's okay for you to judge these things. And if you determine, yeah, there's guilt here, y'all are allowed to get rid of me. But it's like churches, they want to sit around and they want to wait for the legal system to figure it out. Oh, uh, we'll let them decide. Really? I don't trust our court system. I will use them because, one, we have to, and two, because they are the ones who have the power to throw people in jail. We don't. They're the ones that have the power to execute people. We don't. And so we will always use them, and you need to keep that in mind, too. Don't be surprised if someday, if, if I call the cops on you, if you do something perverted. I will do that. You don't like that? Go find another church where they'll cover it up. There's plenty of those out there. That's why we have to talk about these things. But this is not that church. So uh, let's keep reading this passage. So against an elder receive not an accusation before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Now, sometimes people will take this verse and say, well, that's talking about those uh, who falsely accuse and those who bring the accusation wrong. You need to call them out. Or sometimes people just use that. If anybody sins about anything, you know, we got to tell everybody about it. No, because look at the context of this. It's talking about against an elder received not an accusation. And then it goes on to say, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. So the reason they're saying not to be partial is because we might tend to be partial when it's somebody in leadership. We might tend to be partial when it's somebody that's the pastor of the church and so when it comes to these things, when it comes to accusations and things like that, we need to make sure as we, as a church, when we judge these things, that we don't have any partiality. Just like we would throw out a regular church member and turn him over to the police, you should turn me over to the police and throw me out too. That's what you should do if that happens. And then it says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other man's sins, keep thyself pure. And when it's talking about the laying on of hands, I believe it's the same thing as the laying on of hands of the presbytery. We don't want to go ordaining people that are perverts, that are bad. We don't want to go putting our stamp of approval on people. We don't want to be using them in the ministry. People that are perverts, people that have these terrible you know, things that they've done in their past should never be in leadership ever, ever again. And unfortunately, too many churches are just way too... Because again, too, here's another thing the trendies don't like, that we teach the reprobate doctrine. But folks... If the reprobate's doctrine's not true, why can't a Cameron Giovanelli get restored to a position in a church? Why can't Cameron Giovanelli sing in a choir? He said he repented. You know, who are we to say that he didn't? I mean, he says he repented. You know, he's the church. Obviously, is fine with him doing that. So why not let him sing in the choir now? Okay? You know, because we all know perverts don't get reformed. Now, why not? Why don't perverts get reformed? Why, why not? You know Why? Because when you've been given over to a reprobate mind, hey, you're going to do those things. 
that are not convenient. You're going to do those things against nature. You've been rejected by God. And those people are never going to be reformed. And so you know what? We don't let guys like Cameron Giovanelli sing in the choir. Okay? We're not even going to let them sit in the church here. Some churches, you know, because they don't believe that, they're trying to reform. They'll keep an eye on these people. I don't think all of them are horrible. But at the same time, too, if you've got a known pervert in your church that you are allowing, everyone in the church ought to know about it. Just, I mean, even our world makes these people be, you know, um, be on a sex offender list. Why can't we have one in the church? Fine. You know what? You want us to have sexual predators in the church that say they repented, that's fine, but we're going to put a picture of them on the wall in there, and we're going to say sexual perverts that attend this church, and then we're going to have a section for them too. A section that we don't clean, you know, that's, that's real nasty and stuff, that's kind of roped off, and we'll stick them in that corner there, and that, you know, that, that's the pervert section, because, you know, obviously we've got to let everybody in church, and we'll let the sodomites sit in there too with them, uh, whenever we let them come to church, all right? Would that be okay? Would we all be, if, we're, if we're going to do it, that's the way it's going to be done. But I'd just rather not do that at all, okay? But, but if, if, if we ever get convinced that we got to let these people in church, that's how we're going to do it. And you say, if you do that, they're never going to want to come here. Thank you. Exactly. Because <laughs> we don't want them here. We don't want them here. So, uh, and notice what it says there too when it says... Neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. If we are connected to these people, okay, you understand that we are a partaker of their sins. Okay? And, de- and so dealing with somebody in leadership, it's not an easy thing. But when we fail to do it, we are partaking. We are enabling them. These guys that have been busted before and they do it again. Guess what? Those pastors that left them in leadership, they are a partaker in their sins. These repeat perverts that are out there. You've got guys like Mike Zachary that is still, I get it, the guy's a talented musician. But the guy is a pervert. We, and, and here's the thing too. You know, we've met the guy. I'm not just talking about people in random churches. My wife and I went to a music thing at Providence Baptist College. He was there. This was years ago. Um, you know, I met him. I remember shook his hand. He had that dead fish handshake. And we kind of thought he seemed like a homo. I mean, we, we did. We're, and we made excuses for him. It's like, you know, he's just a musical. He's the artistic type. We made excuses for him, you know, because, you know, we knew Brother Gomez would never have, you know, a pervert, you know, and, and obviously he didn't know. But, but anyway, it ended up, turned out he did something there at North Valley. And then they just like let him go. Okay. North Valley, they don't call anybody out. They still haven't called Cameron Giovanelli out, even though he pled guilty to what he did to Sarah Jackson, even though they covered for that guy. They still haven't admitted any wrongdoing there. And then what do they, so what do they do? They quietly got rid of him. He goes to West Coast. He goes to Paul Chapel's church. And then something happens there. Now, at least Paul Chapel, and unfortunately he took it down, but he did like a blog post or something kind of talking, but he was kind of vague in there. It wasn't for sure what he did. So we knew something was wrong and he was upset in there that Treber never told him about it. And I remember there were some blog posts and things that went around, but they've taken it all down. Uh, and I, I don't remember all the details of it, but he obviously this guy's a pervert. He was a pervert at North Valley. He was a pervert at Lancaster, but now he's at Lighthouse at Doug Fisher's church in San Diego. What in the world? When are these people going to learn their lesson? I don't understand that at all. And, uh, and so understand that Jack Treber 
when he relocates him and allows him to go over to West Coast without telling Chapel about it, whatever Mike Zachary did over there, Jack Treber is a partaker in that. Now, I don't believe Jack Treber is a pervert, but I believe he's a partaker in perversion. And I hate to say that too because I was like Jack Treber. I've heard Jack Treber preach in person. Uh, and I, you know, I've said I, a lot of these people, I've been connected to them. I've gone to their meetings. I've listened to these people preach in person. I've shaken some of these people's hands. So uh, again, and, if, if, and, but it, and all these things were before any of this stuff happened. But if I were to continue to go and to help prop up guys like Jack Treber and go to the meetings that he's preaching at, go to, go to his church for things, send people to his Bible college, you know what I am? I am a partaker too. Because I'm putting my stamp of approval on that. You know what we need to do? We need to keep ourselves pure. We're not going to have anything to do with people like that. We saw it last year, the year before, at the Preacher's Delight Conference down in Jacksonville, Florida, where all the perverts go again, Greg Neal's church, a lot of the preachers took some heat for um, participating in that meeting. And I remember, you know, on, on that one live stream I did on, on Paul Wittenberger's show, we named every one of the pastors that were going to that meeting. And before that, a lot of other people had named them too. A lot of them were the trendies. But... A lot of those guys backed out of that meeting. But you know what? It was after they started getting heat, after it started hurting them politically. John Hamblin was one of them. John Hamblin, he was going to go to that meeting, and then he backed out of that meeting. But you know what he didn't do? Okay, You know what he didn't do? He never said why. He, he never said why. These and Again, these preachers are too quiet about this stuff. You know, so it's like, did you not know before that he was a pervert? You know, or... Are you just now, you know, deciding that it's a problem because the wind shifted politically? What is it? There's a lot of guys out there, you don't know where they stand on this stuff. You know what they need to do? They need to open their mouths and they need to call these things out. But unfortunately, they don't. I, I, I said I could name so many names tonight of a lot of things. And I keep losing my spot because I'm getting sidetracked on all this stuff. But we, we need to understand said individual churches in the IFB world, they are independent of each other, but we do empower certain pastors. We often kind of create popes when we participate in their conferences, when we send our kids to their Bible colleges, or even have them come preach behind our pulpits. And again, many people sitting in the pews in churches, they don't understand how all this stuff works. They don't understand when their pastor's gone and going to these conferences that there's a lot of things politically happening there. And it does. It makes you look really good uh, when you have all these preachers coming to your meetings, when you're preaching at this place and they're preaching for you, it's all, it's all politics and it's disgusting. Right? It's absolutely disgusting. And it's kind of a thing where everybody takes turns going to each other's church. so They can all get big love offerings from each other. And I, and I was literally, I was at a meeting one time. I'll name this guy too. Uh, his name is Joey Johnson and he's not in the, I don't believe he's in the ministry anymore. But I was at a meeting and him and I don't remember who the other preacher was. They were talking about this camp meeting they go to and they were talking about the big love offerings they got. He's like, oh, all I did is I just went and sang there and they gave me a thousand dollar love offering. They're like bragging about these big love offerings that they got at these different meetings. And, stuff. and I'm just sitting there and thinking, this is kind of weird. <laughs> you know? Is that what's motivating these people? Is that why all these guys want to go into evangelism so bad? I mean, some of those offerings sounded pretty good. 
And, but that guy, not long after that, you know, it turned out he committed adultery. And he had to get, he had to get out of the ministry since been divorced. I mean, folks, that kind of thing is horrible. And you know what? I will say this. His pastor called it out. His pastor, and, and I, I, I have a ton of respect for him. His pastor, I mean, it was a very close situation to him. He wrote a letter, and so I can say this publicly. He wrote a letter and sent it out to churches all over telling everybody what happened. And you know what? God bless him for doing that. Those are the kind of people I like. Those are the kind of people that I hang around. And he did it when this was a very close situation to him. And I don't want to, I don't want to say more on that, but I do. I have a lot of respect. He called it out publicly, exposed it, dealt with it. God bless him. And we need, we need more preachers like him. But uh, there is, there's kind of a, it is kind of a big thing in the IFB world where they do that. They go around preaching each other's churches, collect big offerings. It's, it's not good. So, you know, but at the same time, when, when I'm bringing people in, it's a way to lift them up politically. When I'm going there, going to these meetings, it all, it's kind of a, it's kind of a status thing. You know, when you can show the pictures of all the preachers that are here at meetings. And so we're partakers. If there's sin, if there's wickedness going on in these churches, we're partaking when we partake in those meetings. So we've got to keep ourselves pure from that kind of thing. So we can't force another church to fire their pastor. But the truth is, if a church fails to deal with sin, they will be held accountable to God. And this church will be held accountable to God if you all do not cover these, if you don't deal with these things. And so there are known pervert pastors out there that sadly still have jobs and nothing can be done about that. Judgment is coming for those churches. But here's the thing, when large portions of the IFB continue to fellowship with them, then they are now partakers and judgment's coming for them too. And then we can't complain when we get lumped in with the perverts. If I'm out going to these meetings where all these guys are at, I can't complain when I get lumped in with them. Oh, we've never covered anything up. Oh, but you go to all their meetings, you promote these guys, you help make them look like big shots, you legitimize them by having them come preach for you, by you preaching for them. You're making them you know, look like something that they're not. So you're a partaker. So deal with it. When you get accused of being a pervert, when you get accused of being a pervert too. And so, you know, let me just put out this disclaimer because I don't believe the problem of abuse and cover-ups. I don't think it's as rampant as some seen. Because I, I, first off, I've never been a part of a church that had anything like this and I thank God for that. You know, but, um, and, and I know a lot of pastors have been doing this thing for decades and have never had anything either. But here's why. Um, I think it seems rampant because, again, it's a lot of times it's the big names where this happens. And so even though it might be a select few churches, most people in the IFB are somehow connected to those guys. If, almost everybody in the IFB is somehow connected to a pervert, okay? including us. Okay? But at the same time, here's where we got to tell the difference. Did they continue to fellowship with those people after they got busted? Okay, because we've been connected to some perverts, but when they got busted, we disconnected ourselves from those people. We've had people that have preached here before. We've had people. Pre- we had one guy preach here before that's in prison now for murdering his wife. Yeah, that, and that's, that's embarrassing. But you know what? When he gets out of prison, if he gets out of prison, I'm not inviting him to come back to preach. <laughs> I can promise you that right now. 
You know, we've, we've had people uh, that have preached here before, turned out to be bad people, turned out to be perverts. You know, I, I can say we didn't know. But you know what? Now we do know, and they're not coming back. So, you, you know, you can forgive people if it was something before anything was revealed. But again, a lot of these big names, there's still big names today. And I don't get it. They shouldn't be. But they are. And so you're a partaker in that situation. So, uh, but there have been enough of these kind of stories that it makes any story believable. And so, um, so even if our church never has had any of these things done, we need to understand that so if we promote these men in any way, we are a partaker and we don't want to do that. So, um, I, and here's another thing too. I believe one of the reasons we get a lot of attention in this area is because we're the most vocal against perversion. You know, it's not that satisfying when Pastor Trendy, who's always grace, 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 only preaches on the woman taking an adultery story. Whenever he turns out to be an adulterer, you know, ah, you know, people fall, right? But when it's the pastor that's up there just ripping on everybody, ripping on homos and all that, and then he turns out to be a pervert, everybody loves that. And as IFB, what are we known for? Ripping on everybody. Ripping on the perverts, hammering all these people. And you know what? We should be doing that. But we shouldn't be doing it with a beam in our eye. And, and so I think that's one of the reasons we get a lot of attention. But when you preach against sin, and especially when you're specific, everyone wants to prove you're a hypocrite. So uh, the main thing, though, that we I, I need you to get in this message, and I'm not even getting to hardly any of the Bible. Good night. I, I have so much. Holy cow, what have I been doing up here? I still got like seven pages of notes. We, we might, might, might be here a little bit longer tonight. But I haven't even really got to the Bible yet. So, uh, wow. So before we, get into the, but before we get into the reasoning behind their actions, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. All right, man, alive. We need to take that clock down. But uh, let's look at this story that Nathan told David before he calls him out. It says, The Lord sent Nathan, uh, sent Nathan unto David. He came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nursed up, and it grew up together with him. And with his children did he eat of his own meat, drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom. It was unto him as a daughter. Okay, we got a poor man. He's got one sheep. You know the story. He loves this sheep. It's everything to him because it's all he has. And then here, somebody comes along and they take it away. Now, David, when he hears the story, he rightfully gets angry. David should have gotten angry. A story like this, where someone takes something special from somebody, should make us angry. And this did. It rightfully made David angry. What David didn't understand, though, is that he was the guy... Nathan's talking about because that's exactly what David did. Okay? And you don't want to, and here's the thing too that this poor man being violated, it rightly made the king angry because this kind of thing makes God angry. Look what it says in second or Exodus chapter 22 21. It says, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. You, you want to know why pastors 
are covering these things up today. I know I've, I've heard these people talk. I've been connected enough. I've heard enough of these stories. You want to know why they all get quiet when these kind of things happen? You want to know why they get up and they read? They're going to read statements that a lawyer wrote up for them and this kind of thing happens? Because they're trying to protect the church, meaning the money. That is why they are doing it. Because there's a good chance if somebody on staff violates a child and you get busted for it, there's a good chance the church is going to get sued. And you know, we can't let that happen. We're doing so much here for the cause of Christ. We've done so much. We've got this multi-million dollar facility. We have all these things. We can't let these things be sacrificed. And so you know what we do? We, it's like we're sacrificing children to save the buildings. Now, folks, listen, I thank God for what we have. But you think about your kids for a second. Is this building, is everything this church has of any financial value worth your child being violated? Are we really going to sacrifice your child? Are we going to redirect their future in a negative way, allow something horrible to happen so we can save what we have here? I mean, I thought Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I thought he came for people. I didn't know he came for buildings. I didn't know he came for an organization. I thought the church wasn't the building. The church wasn't the organization. It's the assembly. It's the people. It's the lives. It's the souls. I thought the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? So what are we, what do we think is going to happen? Are we going to try to stop justice from taking place? Are we going to try to stop that from happening so we can protect all this stuff that we have here? And we're going to allow someone to be done wrong? Allow some little girl to be violated? Some little boy, these precious children we have in here? You know what? This should be our attitude. We'll let it all burn. It can all burn with no insurance money before we will let a child be violated like that or hurt like that. Because here's the thing, too. If something happens, if somebody does something, we can't undo that. You all understand that? We, we can't undo what they did. But, you know, we see that Jesus, he got very angry at his disciples when they forbid the children to come to him. We see that Jesus said, whosoever shall offend one of these little children will be better for him than a millstone or hang around his neck and to be cast into the sea. We know that Jesus Christ cares about those children and loves them. And so here's the thing. If something happened to one of your children, we can't undo what that pervert did. But what I wonder, and I don't want to pretend I can speak for victims. I've never been molested or anything like that, but I've listened to these people talk. I tend to think if a child was violated, because too, a lot of times you've got, you know what you have? You've got pastor or like a, a, you know, a high up youth worker or somebody that everybody loves in the church versus like a bus kid. I mean, what's that bus kid bringing in? Right? He's costing the church money, right? Well, let me tell you that bus kid has a soul that's far more valuable than that pedophile's. And understand that child, what if they saw the church remove the pastor for what they did to him? You know what that would tell him? That would tell him that I am just as important as the pastor. That's what that would tell them. What if as a society we did the right thing and when these pedophiles hurt a child, we tied a millstone around their neck and we cast them into the sea. And these kids were able to see this is what happened to that guy who violated me. You know, I think that would probably be very healing for these children. If we did that kind of thing, but you know what they, you know what they see 
from the IFB today. They see the IFB shut up about it. They don't want to acknowledge anything. They get up and they read their statements. Hey, and they had, uh, I want to read this to you. Okay, y'all mind if I go a little overtime tonight? All right, Tommy just changed the clock for me. I'm going off that, okay? Because this is a typical IFB response, okay? They had a video out there showing three different pastors. And I've heard two of these guys speak in person. I've been to meetings that, that they've been at. It was Mike Ray and uh, Jack Treber and Bruce Goddard. I've never, heard, I've never met him in person or anything like that. But they were showing these guys that were all addressing things that happened in their churches. And I kind of made some notes about something that they all were doing. It was like they all had the same lawyer, probably David Gibbs, that was like wrote their statements out for them. And folks, with what these people are doing, they're doing it to protect all of this, all this stuff. They're not thinking about souls. They're not thinking about individuals sitting in their church. I'm telling you, folks, it can all burn. I, I would rather it all burn before it happened to one of my children. And I shouldn't have a different attitude towards one of your children. So... These are just kind of some notes I took so about their responses. So first thing they do, whenever something happens and it's been taken to the police, the cat's out of the bag. They can't cover it up. This is what they do. They announce it to the church in written statement form. And these are all probably things that are written up by lawyers to protect the church from lawsuits. In fact, when Treber addressed the Cameron Giovanelli situation to his church, after they cut the live stream... Somebody videoed it, and the next words out of his mouth were, I still have to watch what I say. Why? Why do you have, why do you have to watch what you, say, what you say? Who are you afraid of? You know what he's afraid of? He's afraid of the authorities finding out. So he got up and read a statement. You know, you think a pastor would know how to get up in front of his church and talk to the people. Shouldn't, shouldn't we have that down by now? But these guys, all of a sudden, they got to read something. I think that's absolutely pathetic. We see they always start by saying, this is how it always starts, it has been brought to our attention. That's code for, we had no idea. We didn't know anything. This is what they legally have to say to try to make it look like we're not liable for what happened. Don't sue us. Don't sue us for what happened. Folks, I don't want to get sued. I don't want to get sued, but you know what I don't want to do either? I don't want to ruin one of these children. I don't want to treat them like they don't matter. And like all the stuff that we have here is more important. You know, we can start another church. We can start all over if we need to. Because, again, I thought the church was the people. Not the buildings, not the organization. We see they like to talk about the things that they didn't know instead of what was really important. Like, what did they know? Because that's what's important. We find out we got a pervert in here, especially in the situation with Mike Ray, where the guy that he had to address was somebody who had done something perverted before, and he knew about it. And he didn't, the church didn't know about it. So what do they do? They get up and they talk about all the things they didn't know. I'm in the darkness as much as everybody else. That's kind of what they're, what they're doing. And obviously they didn't know everything, but that's not important. Here's what's important. What did you know? Oh, you mean you did know that about that, what he had done several years ago? That, you know, that, that's pretty important. That's what they should be talking about. They start by talking all, about all the problems that people in the church have that they didn't tell everybody about. Oh, you all want me to talk about? You know, you guys think I should have told you what this pervert did? I don't tell everybody about your problems. Oh, you mean like about the little, you know, the 
arguments my wife and I have been getting into. You know, okay, obviously those aren't illegal things. You know, obviously we all have problems, and obviously pastors, they know things about their people that not everybody would want to know. But there's a big difference that, you know, hey, you know, your wife loses her temper sometimes and nags you to death and is driving you crazy, and somebody's a pervert and molesting people. There's a big difference. Okay? If you have a knockdown drag out with your wife and you want to talk to me about it, I'm not going to tell everybody in the church about it. But if I, you're a pervert, we're going to tell everybody in the church about it. You're not endangering everybody with that. So that's just, that's just stupid. You just get up. I don't tell everybody else about your problems. How dare you think I should talk about this kind of thing? And boy, what, that, that type of thing just makes me sick. They talk about how the devil is attacking their church instead of how a devil attacked an innocent person in the church. That's what they should be talking about. Our church is under attack right now. Who's attacking you? The police? For you having a pedophile in the place? Oh, it's all those people on social media talking about us. Well, you know, if you'd have dealt with it, they would have probably never found out about it. Again, those people aren't hurting places like Calvary Baptist and Dundalk. But they, boy, they sure seem to be hurting these churches out in California. The pastor, too, they do this. They always make themselves out to be the victim because he has the job of dealing with these problems and attacks. Now listen, I, I know that would be tough dealing with that kind of thing if I found out about some kind of perversion in the church. But you know what? When you exploit a situation like that to get sympathy for yourself instead of the victim, man, I'm sorry, you, you're a disgusting person. You make me sick. And again, you know what? God already sacrificed His Son for the church. We don't need to sacrifice any of these kids here for anyone else. Oh, we don't want to hurt the cause of Christ and stop people from getting saved. God already sacrificed His Son so others can be saved. We don't need to sacrifice any more children. You know, the trendies don't like when I use some of these examples. Maybe they'll like this one since it's not about them. How is this any different than offering up our children a Molech? Like they did in the Bible. Sacrifice, you know, we're going to sacrifice our children so we can hang on to our money and to this building. So we can hang on to our reputation. I don't want to hurt my reputation because I won't get invited at, and I don't get invited to anything anymore anyway. So who cares? But either way, well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, you don't have anything to lose. Well, that's good. I can keep, we can keep ourselves pure. You know, that's, that's more important. Proverbs 31 8 says, Open thy mouth to the dumb and in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction, open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. We should be defending those who can't speak for themselves. And I'm telling you, it is, it's a sad thing. You have that poor family. You have that bus kid. And they are, they're treated as second and third class. I'm telling you, I, I don't care if it's even somebody outside. Any, any child out there is worth, their soul is worth more than anything that our church has. We're, when something happens, we're not going to think, how are we going to hang on to all this? We should be thinking, about how can we make sure this person is not offended to where they walk away from the things of God and walk away from the house of God? Because you know what happens too, and this will offend some people too, but a lot of the LGBT people out there today are former victims whose minds were twisted by what was done to them. A lot of people end up going that direction after they get violated by a pervert. Do you want that happening to your child? Obviously not. Okay? It is can all burn before one of my children become a homo. It can all burn first 
And so we're not going to do that. We're going to make sure that they understand how important they are. So, um, uh, I lost my spot. I got so many pages up here. I'm just going to decide what I'm going to skip and what I'm going to hang on to. But here's the last thing that they do. Uh, they ask for prayer for the victims, for, for everyone except the victims. Y'all be praying for our church. Y'all be praying for the family of our assistant pastor who's a pervert right now. What about the victim? Nobody, nobody brings them up. Okay? You know, and, and why don't they try to, you know, why don't they try to tell the church, you know, make them feel like, hey, we failed. We should have been watching better. We should have seen this kind of thing coming. You know, because, you know, we can't be 100% on these things, but when we allow a pervert to be a part of this church, especially when we put them in leadership, we failed somewhere. We went wrong somewhere. And you know what we should do after that happens? We should go back and say, what were the red flags? What could we have done differently to prevent this from happening? But the, these things are never even talked about. So in these, these, these statements, they always end, end with a lecture on gossip and minding your own business and trash-talking those who say false things. And look, again, false accusations will not damage a church unless there's an element of truth. And so let's mark it down right here, right now, and accept the fact that if abuse happens in our church, bad things will be said about our church. And some of those things won't be true. Okay? Some of those people, some of the stories will be improved, and more will be said. And it's not all going to be factual, but let's just mark it down. It's going to happen. And we can't play the victim when it does. And so this is what... Uh, oh, man. So... I had some bonus points. I don't, I don't have time to get it. Because at the same time, too, I did want to spend some time tonight showing why these people that are trying to expose this stuff, I might have to just do something special online for them. All right, This is for you tonight, and I've already taken you over time. But uh, you know, these people that are out there trying to expose all this stuff, they don't understand. They don't even understand why abuse is so bad. They don't understand why sexual perversion is so bad. And I'm sorry... When you are against pedophiles, you know, but yet at the same time you're okay with sodomites, I don't think you're really against perversion. Uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, you're a hypocrite. I don't, think you're, I don't think you're really against perversion. I think you don't like the IFB, and this is a great opportunity, you know, when that happens, to trash everything about the IFB. But let me tell you something, too. You know, what, what in the world does King James only have to do with being a pervert and a pedophile in the church? You know, what does... You know, standards and all that have to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. And I might have to do something special for that. But here's, let me, let me close with this verse right here. It says, but, it, but and uh, Numbers 32, 23, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. We're not, we're not going to cover anything up. Let's just mark it down, folks. This is what, if you can get anything from this, all right? There's a lot I wanted to cover tonight. It kind of went all over the place. Okay. But if you get anything from tonight, here's what we need to understand. We will never successfully cover anything up. It will always come out. The longer it takes to come out, the worse it will be for our church when it does come out. Okay? Another thing everybody needs to get, if you do something perverted, you will be exposed. I highly recommend you just leave before anything happens if you are a pervert. You will be exposed 
But then last of all, we just need to mark it down right now. We cannot allow our care and love for the things that we have as a church, the facility, the building. We can never sacrifice people so we can hang on to these things. We just need to mark it down. Every single person in this church is worth more than everything that we have here. Everything we have here, it is, it is nothing compared to that individual for their soul. You need to think about every other child in here, just like you do your child. You wouldn't sacrifice these things for your child. And we're not going to sacrifice somebody else's child. And we need to take these things serious. And if something ever happens, God forbid, if something ever happens, we are not even going to think about protecting ourselves from getting sued. Let's just forget about that right now. If we start talking about how we're going to protect this church, when that kind of thing happens, we've messed up somewhere. We've gone bad. We deserve all the attacks that we're going to get. You know what we've got to do? We've got to say, how can we salvage this victim? How can we make sure that that pervert didn't turn them into another pervert? Let's show that victim how much we care about them and how much they, we love them. And let's do everything we can to destroy whoever hurt them, no matter who it is. Even if it's the pastor, we are going to take them down. We are going to make an example of them. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to make a hero out of them. Because here's the thing about sexual perverts. They never stop with just one. They never stop. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you kids this. If anybody ever does anything to you, hey, understand, if you tell somebody what was done to you, you know what you're doing? You're saving somebody else. You're saving somebody else. I know it's got to be hard. I know that's got to be difficult. That's a tough thing. But folks, we've got to make it easy for people to, to tell us these things when they happen. We've got to support them. And we need everyone in the church to see us support them. We can't look down on them and get mad at them. You, because of you, we got lost our pastor. No, it's not because of them. It's because of them. You don't have a pervert behind the pulpit anymore and you're now safer. As a result of it, maybe if we make heroes out of these people, people won't be afraid to come forward and then we can deal with it quickly. So I hope, I don't even know what else I can say about it. I hope we keep that mindset. I hope we don't ever lose this mindset. This has to be our mindset Going out, and we, and unfortunately, the IFB they put their ministry, meaning their buildings, the organization, over people, and they have sacrificed children. They have sacrificed souls so they could keep their stuff that they have. And I think that's a shame. We should let it all burn before we ever do anything like that. So, with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Uh, for these examples in your word and I pray you'll help us to learn from them Lord again We thank you for the great things that we've learned from the IFB but Lord there have been uh, A lot of people within the IFB a lot of big names in leadership that have handled abuse in a horrible way dear God and Lord, I, I I pray that we will never ever ever allow that mindset in our church I pray that we will see every single individual in this church young and old as equally valuable as anyone else in this church. And I pray that uh, we will never, ever set, try to sacrifice any child or any person supposedly for your cause, Lord. You, you already sent your son to be the sacrifice for us. We don't need, other, uh, we don't need to be sacrificing other children. And I pray you'll help us uh, to live up to this. In your name we pray. Amen.